What's up, everyone? Welcome in. Welcome to episode 72 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Glad to be in here at the end of the week. Um, NBA draft last night. Very exciting stuff. A lot of trades went down. So... Um, definitely some excitement surrounding the draft last night, obviously with Zion Williamson, John Morant, some of those top players. Um, but yeah, it's like I, like I've mentioned a ton of times, it's going to be a new NBA next year. Uh, going to be extremely different. Um, just really all, all across the league. Um, but if we're looking at just the the early part of the first round, really the the top four, top four or five that those are really the best players in the draft. Um, Zion obviously went number one to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, I think that was pretty clear that they were going to take him. Um, he is going to be a really, really, really good player in this league. He's probably the best draft prospect since LeBron James back in '03. This kid looks incredible. He does concern me though because he's he's got such an aggressive style of play and he's super athletic. And at that size, um, injuries concern me. Um, and I mean, he blew through a shoe just by planting. So he's just he's super strong, got an aggressive play style, and at that size, that weight, he's like six, eight, six, nine. 285 pounds um, and with his aggressive play style and just how hard he hits the floor I could see him potentially being a very injury riddled player unless he slims down and cuts a little bit of weight and gets leaner uh, he seems like he could be a a knee injury waiting to happen or some kind of injury waiting to happen I don't think he's a bust I'm not saying he's going to be like a Greg Oden who lit the world on fire in college and came in and was done within a year. Like, I think Zion is going to be a generational talent, extremely good, but I do think he's going to have some injuries. Um, obviously, we'll see him. We'll see how he adapts to the the new style of play in the NBA. I don't think he's going to be dominant right out of the gate. Because obviously he's yes he's got the size and the athleticism and the strength, but you know this is men playing against men. This isn't college anymore, so it's going to be a lot different from that standpoint. But I still think long term this kid is going to be really good. He's just got to watch his weight, watch his play style, watch his body, and I think he'll be fine. Um, John Morant went two to the Memphis Grizzlies, and that's following a trade that the Grizzlies made with the Utah Jazz. They sent Mike Conley uh, to the Utah Jazz for, I believe it was like Dante Exum, Kyle Korver, picks. Um, so Mike Conley is going to be paired up in the backcourt with Donovan Mitchell, which, which is going to be really exciting for the Jazz. And I think it's really interesting that teams are doing this. Now, obviously, the I think Memphis wanted to move off of Conley anyways because they wanted Morant and Conley's an aging star. 
But with the injuries that uh, occurred during the NBA Finals to the Warriors, I think it's given... Obviously, it's blown the West wide open, and I think everybody has this sense that there's a title window open for a lot of teams in the Western Conference, Rockets, Lakers. Um, the, the Jazz feel like they have a window that's open, which is possible. Obviously, the Thunder are really talented, although they've never really made it past the first or second round of the playoffs. Um, Denver Nuggets, the Portland Trailblazers, all these teams think that they have windows that are open, which is fair because the juggernaut that is the Warriors is down right now. Um, so obviously the Jazz looking for a veteran star that can help Donovan Mitchell grow can obviously make the team a lot better because he's still a really good player. He's just aging and he costs a lot of money and he does have some injury history. I think this makes the Jazz uh, a lot better because they actually get a, a true point guard. Donovan Mitchell is more of a scorer. Um, and Mike Conley can be that that point guard that can uh, kind of lead the offense, give Donovan Mitchell his shots, feed Donovan Mitchell, and also just get everybody else their shots within the flow of the offense while also creating his own shot. Um, so it's... Uh, definitely going to make them a lot better for next year, for, for next season. Um, and so, you know, Memphis, with that trade, they were able to acquire John Morant in the draft. They're going to be built up for the future. And at number three, the New York Knicks took R.J. Barrett. Uh, they were locked in on him the whole time. Um, obviously they were hoping for that number one pick to get Zion. Um, but they really liked RJ and he seems like a guy coming into the league. Once he gets some time to get acclimated to, to just the speed of the game and the play style, he seems like a guy who can average 20, 22 a night, uh, in his first or second season. He looks that good offensively. And I think he was overshadowed by Zion Williamson. Um, in college just because of so much hype surrounding him. And so RJ never really got the opportunities uh, or really just never, never was highlighted as much as Zion. Um, So he's going to be in New York. He's going to be in the media capital of the world and he's going to be the man in New York unless they were, they're able to bring in a guy like Kemba, uh, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, one of those guys. Um, but RJ right now is going to be the guy to build around for the New York Knicks. And it's a good start to their future. And now their plan is to land one of those guys in free agency, whether it's KD, Kyrie, whoever. And number four, this is where the trade mayhem began uh, on draft night. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks traded up with the Pelicans, uh, took their fourth pick. And then the Pelicans got, I believe, the 8th and the 12th pick. Um, that turned into DeAndre Hunter for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, they really liked him. They wanted to put him next to Trey Young. And then later on, uh, with another pick early in the first round, the Hawks, I believe, I'm not sure if they made another trade to get back up higher, um, but... They were able to get Cam Reddish, who I really like and I think is very underrated in this draft. 
And so now he's going to be a part of their young core. And I think the Atlanta Hawks is probably the most exciting young team with a bunch of young talent in the league. They have Trey Young running the point. Uh, they'll have uh, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin uh, Huter, who's a, who's a good uh, 3 and D guy, Cam Reddish, and John Collins. It's going to be a smaller lineup. Uh, you'll probably put, obviously, Trey at the 1. John Collins will be at the 5. Um, Hunter will probably be at the 2. Huter at the 3. Reddish at the 4. It's going to be a smaller lineup. Uh, but I think in today's NBA, that's fine um, because it's a it's a space and pace kind of game, three point shooting, and I think this is exactly what um, this Atlanta Hawks lineup, this young core, offers. Um, their ability to space the floor out. They have shooters, um, and they're really this looks really exciting, really promising for them, and. I'm really excited about this team moving forward. They're going to be a team that I'm going to be watching, um, just seeing how these players develop. And I think within the next three to four years, once you get uh, some NBA seasons under these guys' belts and develop them, this can be a really solid team in the Eastern Conference, be a playoff team. And they can be really good. Um. So I'm really excited about them. Um, and then with the Pelicans on the other side of that deal, they made they turned so little into so much. Um, so obviously they traded. This is what they traded all together so far this offseason. They they flipped Anthony Davis, Solomon Hill, the number fifty seven pick, and a future second round pick into Lonzo Ball. Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, the number eight pick, which turned into Jackson Hayes, the number 17 pick, which turned into Nikel Alexander-Walker, the number 35 pick, which turned into Marcos Luzanda, or Luzada Silva, a 2020 protected first-round pick from the Hawks via the Cavs, uh, a 2021 protected first round pick from the Lakers, a 2023 unprotected pick swap with Lakers, and a 2024 unprotected first round pick from the Lakers with a right to defer to 2025 if they choose to do so. That is an absolute haul, and I think that makes the Pelicans also one of the most exciting young teams in the league. And actually, I changed my mind. The Pelicans are going to be the most exciting to watch next year, and then the Atlanta Hawks will be second. Um that's a super exciting uh, core now for the Pelicans. You add Zion to the mix, Jackson Hayes, um, and then whatever free agents they're able to bring in with their cap space because all of these guys are going to be still on their rookie deals. Um, and then Drew Holiday is obviously making a, a fair bit of change. But uh, whatever you bring in, you, you might be able to attract a free agent. And it may not be a marquee guy like a KD. It certainly won't be one of those guys. But, I mean, you can certainly bring in some nice veteran guys uh, to improve your bench depth, uh, maybe get a starting level player at the shooting guard spot, um, something like that. And you can really have some good depth on this team. And in a couple years, 
And maybe even this year, this could be a playoff team. It just depends on how healthy some of these guys are, like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo, um, how well Zion pans out, if he is the superstar we think he is. Um, but it's really, really interesting. And I mean, I'm really, really looking forward to um, to this season for them. Uh, going back to, I talked about the Lakers a little bit in the last episode, uh, just about what they should do with their money this offseason. Um, kind of wanted to touch on it a little bit more. There's another player besides a Kyrie or Kawhi or KD or Kemba. Obviously, the Lakers are looking to pursue another max guy, trying to clear their cap space, the rest of the guys on their books to free up that $32 million to get a max guy. That's another thing is this trade with the Lakers. Had they made this trade by July 31st, as I've mentioned before, uh, they would get that $32 million in cap. But because Anthony Davis has a trade kicker that carries $4 million um, plus some other salary implications, since the deal is going to be completed on July 6th, the Lakers will only have $23 million. So that hampers them to be able to sign a star. And it also gives them less money to be able to add as much depth as they would want. Um, but a player that's been thrown around that is a young up and coming star was a part of the Lakers before you may know who I'm talking about. D'Angelo Russell has been thrown around as, as a guy who could potentially sign with the Lakers and return there. Um, this could be really interesting if you ask me, um, because number one, he's played in LA already. And he loves it there. He's really close with LeBron. Um, and you got to think, he was traded away, not necessarily because the Lakers didn't want him, but he was traded away in order to free up cap space because they attached that TMFA Mozgov deal, uh, that contract to this trade to free up some money and that trade was very important for the Lakers to be able to acquire LeBron James. And now that you have that done, now you can just get D'Angelo Russell back and you won't have to give up anything for him. And I mean, besides your own money. Um, and then you also have Kyle Kuzma that you got out of that deal. So it's kind of like a win-win if you bring back D'Angelo Russell. It's kind of no harm, no foul. Um, but it is really interesting because Magic Johnson was the one that got rid of D'Angelo Russell, didn't think he was mature enough as a leader. Um, Nick Young, who he had problems with when they were playing together, he's not there anymore. So the guys that didn't want D'Angelo Russell on the team anymore, they're no longer there. They can bring back D'Angelo Russell and there's not going to be any problems. And D'Angelo Russell, the only problem with him with playing with LeBron and AD is he's a volume scorer. He's a volume shooter, shoots around seven threes a game, averages around 37, 38%, which is really good at that kind of volume. I mean, that's Steph Curry volume. Um, and yes, I think he would in some ways compliment LeBron and AD, but I think that volume scoring can also be uh, counterproductive. Uh, because LeBron needs the ball in his hands. Anthony Davis is going to need the ball in his hands too. The Lakers need a point guard who is a pass-first guy, but can 
knock down threes when he's open. Um, that's why I propose just sticking, just staying away from stars altogether. And you go after players uh, on the cheap, get a ton of players that can fill out your roster and give you a ton of depth. Um, go after a guy like a JJ Redick, plug him in at the shooting guard spot. Probably the best on the run, catch and shoot, moving without the ball, shooting guard in the league. Probably the most valuable uh, player like that in the league. Um, like I wouldn't even call him a poor man's anybody. He's not a poor man's Clay Thompson. This guy, he is one of the best three point shooters in the league. I would probably put him, you know, in the top five, top 10 shooters in the game right now. Um, so if the Lakers could bring him in on a cheap deal, uh, bring in a guy like a Darren Collison at the point, Patrick Beverly, who can three and D, um, a TJ McConnell, um, Corey Joseph, uh, guys like that who you can bring in cheap, can make plays for others, make plays for themselves, pass, uh, dish, get open, move without the ball, shoot. That's perfect for what they need, and you can do it cheaply. Um, you can bring in a guy like JJ Redick, uh, a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who is restricted with the Bucks. Um, he would cost a little bit more money, but he fits exactly what the Lakers would want and need. And then another guy that they could bring in who they had previously, Brooke Lopez, to have some depth, some big man depth, because right now they only have Anthony Davis and Mo Wagner. Um, so you could bring back Brooke Lopez who can shoot and stretch the floor. Uh, there's a lot of uh, players that the Lakers can go after with their money. A lot of ways they can split it up. A lot of ways they can do it. Um, but I think it's definitely best if they just stick with depth over stars. Moving on to some baseball, um, Albert Pujols, um, he's obviously he's on the LA Angels. He's a part of their team. He went there, uh, seems like quite a few years now he's, that he's been gone from the St. Louis Cardinals, but he made his return to St. Louis. It's the first time he's been in St. Louis since he left there, which seems like a long time ago that he left. Um, that's why I find it hard to believe that this is the first time he's been back in St. Louis since he's left. Um, but uh, the the fans in St. Louis, they gave him a, a, an extremely warm welcome, uh, welcomed him with open arms, and were just the standing ovation that he got when he walked up to the plate. Then, you know, the the home announcer announced his name, you know, batting fifth, number five, first baseman, Albert Pujols. And then just to hear the roar of the fans, I thought was absolutely incredible. It's one of the better things that I've seen in baseball uh, in a long time. Uh, the last, like, great standing ovation I can remember for a player uh, was Mariano Rivera in his last game with the Yankees coming in to enter Sandman. Um, like that was a very magical moment. Huge standing ovation from the fans. And like that moment just really sticks out in my mind. And then this one was incredible as well. Um, and Albert Pujols, 
I believe not in that, not in the game that he returned to St. Louis, but later on in the series, I believe it was the second game of the series. Um, he hit a home run, a solo home run uh, against the uh, Cardinals, and you wouldn't believe the roar that was heard around the stadium. Like you would think that, um, you would think that those were they 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 were playing in Los Angeles. Um, just the amount of fan support that Albert Pujols has garnered over uh, his time with the Angels, and to still be that beloved and that uh, by the St. Louis crowd and and his teammates, that his former teammates, like when he stepped up to the plate to the for the first time, he actually had a nice long hug with his former teammate Yadier Molina, uh, which was also that just added to the magnitude of that moment. Uh, made it much more emotional, a lot more, uh, you know, tear worthy, if you will. Um, it was just a sight to see, and it was it was really awesome. And then hitting that home run, um, a solo home run, and he just trots around the bases. The roar from that crowd in St. Louis was incredible, and. That's just one of the better things that I've seen in baseball in a long time. And, you know, it's especially important, you know, with everything that went on with David Ortiz not too long ago with uh, the shooting that happened. Um, thankfully, he's in stable condition and he's out of ICU. Um, but this is exactly what baseball needed to kind of uplift the spirits a little bit and just get back to enjoying America's greatest pastime baseball so just an amazing moment for albert Pujols, one of the all-time greats one of the, one of the legends of this game and he's still going strong uh at his older age but he's still a really good player solid guy to have coming up at the plate a uh, solid guy who can hit well for you in the middle of your lineup so i'm definitely looking forward to the rest of the baseball season, I've been following it a lot more. Uh, Dallas Keuchel made his first start for the Atlanta Braves against the Washington Nationals the other night. Um, didn't have a great outing. Wasn't great. Had a few errors. Only pitched about four or five innings. Um, wasn't stellar. They ended up losing the game. Um, but, I mean, obviously he's shaken off some rust. He played well in AAA ball for the couple games he played there. But, you know, that's going to be... It's going to be like that when you're playing against guys who are, uh, l- what's the word I'm looking for? They're just younger guys, rookies, or guys who are just not as developed yet, or maybe guys that I got sent down that just aren't ready to be up at the majors yet. Um, so obviously he's playing against, um, you know, just easier batters to, to pitch to and, you know, stepping back up to the big leagues after not playing in over a year because remember he was a free agent for a long time, didn't sign with anybody. Um, so obviously he's got some rust, he's got to shake off, but he's going to be fine. And I still think it was a really good addition for the Braves. I don't think they regret it. I mean, the guy hasn't pitched for over a year, and just and some pitchers just have bad days sometimes. That's just how it goes. Uh, that's how it, that's how it is for every sport. Um, LeBron James is going to have a bad game every now and then where he only scores 12 points and goes, I don't know, four of 19 from the field. Uh, 
although he rarely has those kind of nights. But you get my point. Um, a hitter, a great hitter like a Mike Trout, is going to go 0 for 5 one night. Um, Brooks Kepka in golf, he's going to have uh, bad tournaments, although right now he's on a tear. Um, and his greatness is just kind of just, it's like a smooth dominance. He just does it so smoothly, plays the game so gracefully that it just looks not even fair. But even he's going to have a bad round of golf or uh, a bad a bad tournament, a bad championship weekend. It happens to the best, the best players in the world. Roger Federer lost in the quarterfinals to Rafael Nadal. Didn't, didn't have a terrible day. He just went up against a better opponent. And that's just how it goes in sports. And that's just the nature of the beast. Um, so Dallas Keiko will be fine. Really not worried about him and the rest of his season with the Braves. I think it's good. I think it's going to prove to be a really solid addition by season's end where the Braves are making their final playoff push for uh, seating, some positioning and stuff. Um, so they're going to be fine. Right now they're in the driver's seat in the NL East and they should remain there throughout the season. They're just playing really well. The bats are really uh, on a roll right now on a tear. Josh Donaldson looks like the Josh Donaldson of old where uh, he was with uh, Toronto, so he looks great again. He's homered in each of the last like seven games, or maybe six of the last seven games. Um, Ronald Acuna is excellent at that leadoff spot for the Braves, and then obviously you know Donaldson's playing great. Freddie Freeman is as consistent as they come, um, and. They're just a really well-rounded team. And once they get Keiko back up to speed, they're going to be even better. So I'm not worried about them at all. Um, but another thing that I wanted to talk about um, is we, we've seen a lot of reoccurrences of uh, fans getting hit with foul balls during games. And the uh, the latest incident was Cody Bellinger uh, he hit a foul ball and it hit a fan. I believe it was a young girl. And the fan uh, today actually was taken for tests, probably I'm assuming x-rays or um, what have you, um, after that hit uh, by Bellinger's foul ball. Um, this is an issue that the MLB needs to address because they've obviously, they've messed with the the nets on the sides, they obviously have them behind the backstop and then down the base line a little bit. Um, down, you know, the first and third base line. Um, but I think, you know, we've had so many incidents this season where, like, in seasons past, you maybe only have a handful of incidents in a season, three, four, five incidents like that, where they're not that serious. But we've had probably it seems like six or seven incidents already. We're probably not even halfway through the season and we've had some serious injuries for some fans, some young kids. And I think it's time the MLB does something about it because, um, you know, fans come to the, the games to, to watch the games, enjoy the games. And then this just kind of ruins it. They just need to kind of, I know that, the nets can be kind of 
that can kind of hamper your view of of the game and stuff. Um, but just for safety, I would consider just moving those nets probably, if not all the way down both baselines, like at least you know ninety percent of the way. Um, I would I would personally suggest just putting nets all the way down the baselines to prevent from those line drive foul balls. Cause that's, those are the ones that really do the damage are the line drive foul balls. Um, and it's not anybody's fault. Like it's just a freak thing. It's not like these players are just straight up hacking at the fans. Like, no, that's not the case. Um, it's just a freak thing where ball just catches the bat in a, in a spot and it just, it just flies the way it flies. Um, now, obviously, these nets can't be, you know, like the nets at like a Top Golf or something, where, you know, they're hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air. Um, that's that's just not really feasible. So obviously, you're going to get those high looping foul balls that go behind the the net and and whatever the case may be. You can't stop those. And personally, I don't think you should block it off completely because. Part of the experience is fans catching foul balls, catching home runs, although you wouldn't put a net above the, the walls, obviously. But you get what I'm what I'm getting at. Um You can't eliminate that from, from the sport because that's that's all part of the experience. I've never been fortunate enough to catch a foul ball. Um, but then again, I've only been to two MLB games uh in my life so far. Um, and I've been to several minor league games, um, but I would propose just putting nets all the way down the first and third baseline, just to protect against those line drive, those line drive foul balls. Um, I don't know what the 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 MLB is thinking. I don't know what what they feel about the situation, or maybe maybe they're not even talking about it. We don't know, but. I think something needs to be done because I've noticed more than anything, and it could be because I'm following baseball a lot this year, and maybe it's not uh, that many occurrences. Maybe it is like on average. Maybe it's it, maybe I'm I might be just noticing it because I'm paying attention a lot more. I don't know, but I don't think we've had this many occurrences of fans getting hit with foul balls, line drive foul balls. I, I don't remember this many instances through not even half a season um and a long uh, like since forever so i think the mlb needs to address it need to do something with the netting extend it do something to make make it safer for the fans who are sitting closer who can get beamed by a, a line drive um because when you have incidents like that it can change the, the whole atmosphere in the uh, in the ballpark and it can make it really emotional for the players because obviously the players don't mean to do it and they feel terrible. Um, one that sticks out in my mind. Oh gosh, I forget the baseball player's name now. He won a home run derby a while back. He's kind of a journeyman. Played for the Cincinnati Reds, um, the White Sox. I forget where he's at now. Oh my gosh, this is going to kill me. Um, let's just look up like Reds roster. 2015. Oh gosh, I can see him in my head. 
Oh, it's really going to kill me. I see him right in my face right now, and I can't think. Todd Frazier. That's it. All right. So, yeah, Todd Frazier. I remember an incident um, a couple years ago where he line drived a fan, and he was just straight up on the ground. Like, he was on his knees, like, crying. He felt horrible. And that's something that you just hate to see. Um, so, yeah, I think I think baseball needs to address it. The MLB needs to address it. See what they can do to make it safer for fans who are sitting closer, who are more susceptible to getting hit by line drive, foul balls. And just make it safer, man, because I think that's all we want in the end is just a safe game. Um, but moving on to... Uh, the NFL, some something that just got finalized just recently. Um, the pass interference rules that have been a topic of debate over the past couple seasons where we've had some really controversial calls. People have been calling for rules where you can review pass interference. And those rules that the players or that the the players have been pushing for in the NFL, you know, the NFL's answered the call and they've finalized um rules that allow teams to challenge pass interference calls or non calls. Um so we'll take you through basically what these rules are gonna be. Um so the coaches of NFL teams during games, they're going to be able to challenge pass interference calls or non-calls up until the two-minute warning of either half. So um, it's going to be basically just like normal uh, with all the rest of the review because in the final two minutes of each half anyways um, and overtime, um, the replay officials, they're the ones who are responsible for stopping the game, doing whatever reviews that they feel is necessary. Um for all reviewable type plays. And so NFL, so pass interference calls and non-calls, they're going to be lumped into that now. And so teams can challenge up until the final two minutes of halves and overtime. And then from there, officials take over and they're the ones responsible for it. Um, it's going to be really interesting too. And next season is going to be a trial season for the rules. Um, so it's only going to cover the 2019-2020 season. And then after next season, the owners are going to get together again and decide whether to um, add on to these rules, extend them, um, maybe put some limitations on them, tweak them, make some changes, or just straight up eliminate it altogether, just depending on how uh, well received it is by the fans. And, you know, if it, makes the game way too long if teams challenge it too often or you know if it just if it's just not a great rule and it just kind of takes away from the physicality of the game because i think that is something that it could take away from is how physical corners can be on the outside with receivers it's going to be a really interesting season with this rule put into play I'm really excited because I want to see 
I'm really excited for like that first challenge or that first review of a pass interference call or non-call just to see what the process is like, what they look for. And, you know, is it going to be like the catch rule where it's so complicated where commentators don't, can't even tell you if it's catch because you got to have both feet down. You got to be a runner. You've got to make a football move. Um, what counts is two feet down. Is it a knee is two feet down or like whatever it is. Can the ball move? Like, is it going to be extremely tedious? Like, uh, the, and, and unpredictable, like the catch rule that we had a couple that we've had over the last few season, that seasons, that Des Bryant catch rule. Um, is it going to be extremely tedious like that? I really hope not because it was super inconsistent. And I remember the Super Bowl, um, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, New England Patriots. I believe it was, you know, Corey Clement had a touchdown on a play that could have been ruled either way, catch or no catch. And then Zach Ertz also had a play on a slant route where he hit the ground and the ball popped out, but he landed in the end zone. So it's like, is that a catch or is that not a catch? Chris, uh, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, they, they had no idea. They literally said that they give up and they have no idea what's what. And so I'm glad that they kind of fixed that catch rule and simplified it, made it a lot easier and a lot less complicated. I really hope that they take a similar route with this this PI rule and just make it so it doesn't slow down the game too much. It's consistent across all games, across all effort, uh, referees. Um, obviously, there's going to be mistakes, and that's just human nature. Nothing is going to be perfect all the time. That's just not how life works in general. Um, but I just hope that it's simple. And it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. But I think what's gonna be concerning for a lot of owners who kind of met with the league on this rule is they're gonna be concerned about excessive stoppages um, during the the waning moments of the game inside the final two minutes. Um, you know, the idea had been floated around about maybe stopping replay officials from stopping the games on their own to review a PI call and just kind of letting that decision fall on the coaches and whether or not they want to, um, they want to challenge it. Um, but a lot of coaches, they didn't like that idea. Um, so let's see. Just reading an article about it here. Um, so obviously, like I said, teams are concerned about the stoppages um, that are excessive. Um, and the committee they instructed a replay. Uh, they instructed replay officials to use stricter st uh, criteria for stopping the game. Um, so basically, it's this saying they always use: clear and obvious evidence to um, a pass interference call, whether or not. It is pass interference or it's not. And if there's obvious evidence that proves that you should change the call or stay with the call, um, whatever it is, 
Um, but this pass interference call is also, it's not going to go for just, um, you know, regular plays during the game. Um, it's also going to be um, available to be used during Hail Marys. So basically at the end of a half or at the end of the game where Hail Mary's thrown, um, you know, this rule is going to be allowed to be applied to those plays. And I think that's extremely fair. That's 100% fair. I think pass interference can be called um, by the defense in most scenarios on defensive backs on Hail Mary plays um, because they just push receivers out of the way to knock the ball down. Great example, again, going back to the Super Bowl with the Eagles and Patriots a couple years ago. Um, That Hail Mary Tom Brady threw, Gronk was pushed down like 20 yards down the field, and they didn't call it. Um, So, obviously, we'll see what the rule actually turns out to be when we see it actually used in a game. But plays like a Hail Mary, the the rules are going to have to be consistent um, for what the officiating's been on the field. Um, But Let's just hope that it works out. It's not too complicated and nobody's left scratching their head after pass interference reviews. All right. So that's the it. For, uh, that's the it. Jeez. Ow. What am I talking about? That's it for episode 72. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Um, I wanted to announce something. I'm going to be posting a video that I took a couple days ago. Um, I no longer have all of my long hair and I no longer have that scraggly beard. Um, I decided uh, a couple of days ago, well, not a couple of days ago, but I've known for a little bit now that I wanted to cut my hair and I finally made that decision a couple of days ago, went in and got my hair all chopped off. Um, so I'm going to post that video of me getting my hair cut on YouTube. Um, I'll post that tomorrow. Um, and then I'll also have some content from this episode to post. Um, so you can see me with some shorter hair and yeah, it's crazy, dude. It was really crazy. Um, when I cut my hair, I, I donated it all or donated it to, uh, locks of love or locks for love. I think it's locks of locks for love. Um, but regardless, I donated it. So some, a uh, young lad or young lady um, can enjoy the the hair I enjoyed for two years. So um, that's always great that I can help out someone else who doesn't have the ability to uh, grow as much hair as they like. So that makes me feel better about it, knowing that it's still going to be uh, used for good and my hair is not going to just get thrown in the trash. So, but I am now... I guess babyface will, which means my cover art for my podcast is no longer going to be valid. It's not going to be representative of who I am now. I am now redefined. I look like a presentable human being. Um, it was weird. Like I zipline at the wilds and, um, my boss saw me and he's like, why'd you got your hair, dude? And I was like, I don't know, man, it's just time. Just wasn't feeling it anymore. And he's like, that's a fair answer. And he's like, but the thing is, is like, there's nothing weird about you now. Like everybody who is a zipliner here, you know, they all, they all have something weird about them and you don't know. You look 
just like a presentable human being. Um, I might have to fire you. <laughs> I might have to let you go. And I was like, that, that, I mean, I, I wouldn't argue if you did. I mean, you're absolutely correct. And, and he was just joking with me. It was all in good fun. Um, scared the crap out of a lot of people. I didn't tell anybody. I only told two, two of my friends that I was doing it. One came to watch. Um, and then I scared the crap out of my mom. I scared the crap out of my other boss. Um, scared the crap out of my brother. I scared a lot of people, um, but hopefully I didn't freak them out too much. Um, Babyface Will has returned, so uh, yeah. But anyways, that's it for episode 72. Uh, you can share this episode with your friends, parents, enemies, coworkers. Um, even though there is there school going on right now, I'm sure there's you know summer classes. Uh, share it with your classmates. Share it with everybody you know. Trying to grow the brand here. Um, gonna have to change the cover art, make it more representative of me. We'll come up with something here pretty shortly, but for now, I'll just stick with the same one. Um, uh, be sure to subscribe to my podcast on SoundCloud and on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, um, and then give this episode a like as well. Subscribe to my YouTube channel where I um, drop some some content from each episode um, after each episode every week. Um, and then also follow my new Facebook page. Um, that's at the Will Ford show. Um, I've got over 93, I think it's 93, 92, 93 people who have liked it and who follow the page. And I'm really happy about that. Happy that I was able to get so many followers so quick with, uh, I think it's been, a little over a week since I made the page. So that's amazing that that, that I've been able to do that. Um, so be sure to follow it on there as well, because I do post uh, my content on there. I post episode links, um, links to my YouTube videos. Um, and then if I ever tweet about something random in sports, um, you know, also do the same thing on Facebook. Um, so be sure to follow that. Um, going to try to get on the, in, on, on the Insta jam, Instagram. So get on the gram, uh, maybe do a little Snapchat, something like that. I may just use my personal accounts for that, or maybe I'll make, um, some actual podcast accounts. We'll see. We'll see what we're, what we're going to do, man. It's all fun though. I'm enjoying this so much. I've been a lot more active recently and I'm just loving it. Um, so thanks guys for tuning in. We'll see you guys in episode 73. It's WFS.